0: Hey everyone, welcome to No is Review Crew. This is episode 41 and I'll be your host for today, Kevin Gossett, the LA Review's editor for NoPro. Today we have
1: Noah Nelson, publisher and host of the No Procidium podcast.
2: And Laura Hess, NoPro's arts editor.
0: So today we're going to be talking about the Without Walls Festival, but before we get into that, we're going to have a quick uh, reminder about Book Club. That's coming up on May 17th in the Discord at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh blake and patrick will be leading a discussion on the night circus by aaron Morgenstern. so you have a little less than a month to get that read um and come with your your questions discussions in the uh the discord so i think it'll be a fun episode i am looking forward to actually starting that book i need to do that so now we're going to dive into the episode proper um talk about without walls which is a festival in la jolla california which is near san diego it started it's actually
1: it's actually sorry to correct you should have done this it is in san diego it's from the La Jolla playhouse Ah, which is part of ucsd but uh this time out it was in fact in san diego at uh, arts district liberty station a converted naval training center uh on a little islet uh that is in the flight path of san diego
0: international airport which
1: (laughs) which which is important to note
0: does does that factor into the the shows oh yeah in
1: in in in, in, sort
0: of yes interesting Interesting. all right so this is a festival that brings together creators from around the world for uh interactive and site specific theater specifically i didn't actually attend but laura and noah did so i'm going to kick it to them for um kind of their overall thoughts on the on the festival so i'm actually kicked to laura first because this is your first time attending in person
2: Yeah, so I will say that I have done a couple of shows over the past two years during the pandemic. um, La Jolla Playhouse did, I think, uh, an incredible job transferring um, or, you know, sort of pivoting to digital wow. That's what they called it, the Digital Without Walls Festival. And I did some performances through that, and I thought that those were absolutely fantastic. So this was my first time actually going down to San Diego and experiencing Without Walls um, in capacity, in 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 person, um, in that in person capacity. So it was uh, it was definitely a very. There were slated to be twenty four performances, and so it was a really packed weekend jaunt down from LA. Definitely very doable, but you wound up kind of doing. I don't know Noah how much. I imagine you fell into this as well, but kind of the like um, like Tetrising of the, all the programming and trying to figure out how I could pack in as much as possible because there are both public performances and then there are ticketed performances as well. So trying to make as much of that happen as possible was a challenge in and of itself.
1: Yeah, that, that was definitely. I mean, I had the luxury of sort of the the press office was like, "Oh, this is what you think you should do," and I was like, "Cool, I don't have to think." Um, with like like that's me being transparent. Like, you know, uh, I've been I've been going to WoW since 2015. It used to be a biannual. Uh, I believe it started in 2013. That's what Kevin's got in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Uh, and I've been I've been going. Uh, I went to the 2015 when it was on uh, the UCSD campus uh, and in environs. I went to the one that was um, I went to a few of the pieces when it was um, It kind of did a distributed thing uh, one year, didn't have a a central location so much. I think I only caught like one or two things that year. Uh, And then in 2019 was its first year at Arch District Liberty Station. And they also did a pop up in 2021. So, you know, this is my third full and my fourth uh, wow event in, in general. Um, there is a lot, there's also the balance of the the festival, you know, It it isn't a pure you no know, proscenium joint, right? Like it isn't all immersive interactive, it isn't all super detailed uh, site specific site responsive, there's a lot of public performances, there's a particularly in the Liberty Station years, there's been a lot of stuff geared for kids, uh, just sort of spectacle stuff. Um, and there, there's always been some degree of spectacle in it. Um, uh, this year's mix, there was a, a bit more technical stuff going on with like projection. They was starting to kind of get back into having things be inside. And, um, there was, there was a lot of, um, there, there, there was a lot of what I would kind of feel like, you know, like smaller, definitely more festival festival like pieces. Um, and it's always funny because wow invites international artists and you'll have these like incredibly polished pieces like this year Labool was incredibly polished and it's from a Canadian company called Corpus and then you'll have stuff from you know more local artists that is like really experimental on the immersive side this year that was represented by Mr. Mischief 40 Watts from Nowhere we'll get into that later and then you'll have stuff from sort of like local San Diego artists who are experimenting with the form um, and you know that's stuff like um, uh, standing on her shoulders, uh, or is it on her shoulders we stand? I don't have that note in front of me, but that's what I wrote up in the in the in the diary today. Uh, and so it's it's this it's this mix. It's a little bit of like a local San Diego public arts festival. It's a little bit of you know the biggest institutional art festival we have that focuses on immersive theater at all. Uh, so it's a really unique beast. And um, Liberty Station is a fairly dynamic location but as i alluded to it has some serious issues with it uh and i note that this is their last year at liberty station um which you know i'll miss easy access to the stone brewing company uh but i will <coughs> not miss being in the flight path of san diego international airport
0: yes there's, uh, um, there's plenty of breweries down in uh, san diego though yeah but there's i like something.
1: stone I okay I like i'd like they're my thing they're my thing kevin stones my thing.
0: So Uh, you mentioned that it was fairly unique. And I think the public performances are maybe kind of a a place to start here in terms of, I think, things that are not normally open to kind of public spaces with with immersive art. So I know there are a few of those. Do you want to dive into some combination of monuments, transmythical and ants?
1: Why? Why? Well, yes, we shall. Um, I'll, 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 I'll start. I'll start. Uh, we'll sandwich this one uh, with monuments. Monuments is a piece by Craig Walsh. He's an Australian artist, and what he does is he takes these video portraits of uh, usually you know, three individuals. I think it's like the standard format uh, that are somehow, uh, I believe, tied to the area that the piece is going to be projected in, and then they project those portraits onto trees so get the, these big faces looking out at you from trees um they're they're moving a little bit they're not super hyperkinetically animated they're just there and pre- present and just sort of looking at the world and you're looking at them and it's just stunning and beautiful and and it it it's supposed to be about you know like you know, the, the quotes around, like, you know, aims to challenge traditional expectations of public monuments and the selective history represented in our civic spaces. And that totally nails that. But what it also does is it's just gorgeous
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just touches something that's just kind of beyond. I don't know if it hit that way for you, Laura.
2: It absolutely did, and I think that in addition to what you just said about, uh, which is obviously a a key foundational part of the piece, challenging what we view as monuments, how we make those decisions, what is projected in our society in terms of, um, you know, an example of some sort of excellence or or, um, something to aspire to, Um, there is, so as, as Kevin cited, this was a public Uh, this was part of the public programming. Um, so there's no, this was just, you know, it started around sundown, um, for visibility reasons. And then, um, you didn't need a ticket. This was free. You could swing by, you could stay as long as you wanted. And there was no, I think one of the challenges in terms of programming for a festival like this is you're, you're hoping to sort of hit like all of the notes if you can. And so for some people, um, they want a lot of interactivity. Um, they maybe want, you know, um, high energy, high intensity, uh, for some people, maybe not so much. And then for, there are people that want both. And this offered a really, really wonderful end of that spectrum where it's not interactive per se, but because of the movement of these projections, which again, the scale is an enormous part of this, Um, pun intended. And you really, it's incredibly evocative. And to look at the subtle movements that Noah's describing, I mean, it actually felt, so there were parts too of how the trees are incorporated. One tree had um, kind of this area where the the, um, internal trunk and the branches were really exposed and the way that that actually opened up part of one of these, uh, the women's faces so it looked almost like this kind of scar on her face. There's this interplay also between these natural elements, especially at this scale, and these women and how their video capture, um, you know, what the, this sort of low level of expression is. It was incredibly haunting and beautiful. It was so mesmerizing. I absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah. So I didn't I didn't see the piece, but I'm I'm quickly googling it while you talk. <laughs> you mentioned the move, the movement too and, and the thing I'm looking at is is the the face is moving, but the, the wind is moving the trees, which mm. adds this additional yes. element, which mm-hmm. looks really cool to me. Yes. Um, oh, it's I'm great. I'll send
1: you some videos, it. Kevin. So
0: but um so is is there like an actual performance aspect to it, or no. is it really no. is just kind of like an art installation yeah, of trees? Yeah, yeah, it's
2: the latter. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. And that's, and, and just for everyone who's listening to NoPro, we're into that. Like, it, <laughs> it doesn't need, it doesn't always need to have a performative element, no. uh, element right? Like, like it, this, is a, this is a thing we're into. This is a thing we are deeply, deeply into. Um,
2: and I think also what I want to highlight with this is that because um, we will come back around to this point, or at least I will come back around to this point with later productions. So... As you're saying, Noah, this doesn't it doesn't have to do everything. And what this Mm. does, it does so wonderfully well. Yes. And so it's it's about doing this this one thing that I think feels very simple because it is so well crafted and it is so beautifully done. It is not trying to check off every box, and it, it it completely delivers on what it is presenting and then some. To me, it was it was definitely one of the highlights of the entire festival.
1: We should probably keep blasting through these. Yes. So you also did Trans Mythical, which I did not do. You caught a little bit of this.
2: Yeah. So this was another public, this was a, um, you know, kind of a a parade or a a processional and it was another public performance. And it just so happened. And I was delighted that this happened, that in between on um, Sunday, I did 40 Watts from Nowhere and I did a thousand ways, part three in assembly. And in between these two, I just happened to get lucky. And this processional of Transmythical was, was literally in my path. And so Transmythical is by the Animal Cracker Conspiracy great name name. and so (laughs) these are um san diego based artists and so this is a a hybrid puppet company and they are um invested in these are their words invested in peering under the surface of things and pushing the boundaries of kinetic performance and i will say about this it was so again this was very large scale Um, in terms of these puppets, uh, there weren't a ton of them. You did have some some dancers who were ground level, who were costumed, but then you also had these larger scale puppets. So they're performers on stilts, for example, um, on bicycles. And their costuming and the design of these different puppets and creatures was, again, beautifully crafted, very colorful. And then the way that they interacted with Uh, with everyone around. There's kids and families, and that's wonderful, but there were some that approached me, and I was delighted to be included, and so I didn't really know a lot about this, um, this particular performance, but it's billed as a celebratory procession of magic, imagination, and inclusivity. It was apparently a 50-minute procession. Again, I only wow. caught a few minutes. So, yeah.
1: But uh, you don't but, you don't need to watch like 50 minutes of a procession. You, you know? don't.
2: And this is exactly, again, what the festival, this is another example of exactly what the festival did really well. Yeah. So you can catch these kinds of things in between and route to something else. And you can have these moments of surprise and delight. By these local artists and performers who do really beautiful work. And you can also have some agency over, okay, how long do I want to spend with this? Because this one is is free and available to me in the moment.
1: Yeah, that was kind of my experience of ants, which is polyglot theater's uh, sort of theatrical game. It's it's aimed at children and and families, really at children. You have these three performers dressed up in these pretty good ant costumes, right? You know, like they're they're they're, the bodies kind of rolling off the back, and they're they're carrying on these. These little bags, they've got all these like pelowy bags uh, in, in the fiction of, of the game, they are breadcrumbs. And there's these piles of them. And the ants are kind of picking them up and moving them around and kind of like lining them up. And the children just wordlessly are invited to kind of help the ants. Well, if you've ever watched like 40 children try to help something, it is pure <laughs> chaos. And so like
0: swarm soccer, but with, with it, ants.
1: Yeah, exactly. Swarm soccer, but but with ants. And like, and and the the funny thing was, was like it became this little microcosm of America. Cause you'd get these little get these like kids, like the bigger kids would grab like Twenty or thirty of the bundles because they they were light enough they could carry that many and like were like hoarding the bump there were enough kids probably to go around that each kid could have had, like two or three bundles but no you know these kids are like they they were little elons they just had to have all the crumbs and like they were trying to help out by like hoarding the stuff and like they knew where to take it and they had to drop it down and so it just it was pure chaos like someone had like a them put their baby in the middle of it all just to take some instagram photos like it was everything that is wrong with america today <laughs> in the form of children trying to move little pillows around and the ants would come along and they would try and do their little work and they'd like you know they they'd line up a couple things and they'd pass the the crumbs back and forth to each other and they were like modeling the behavior and the kids would just kick things and but it, but i went away and came back and when i came back I noticed that some lines are really formed. So, like, s- just the the sheer persistence of the ants going about their business <laughs> does seem to like ultimately lead to something like the- what they're trying to get to. Uh, but just just in the level of accidental social commentary, this this was delightful. Plus, also those kids were having a blast. The right, parents I mean, be- having you know bags being thrown at them full force at their face. Maybe not as much.
0: Well, we talk a lot about play, and this this really seems to encompass some element of, of that that, like, makes its way to immersive theater, too, does it not?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: <laughs> proud, proud of us for not uh, not making a Zoolander reference in that <laughs> segment. So we uh, made a few of them as we were prepping, so uh, we, we made it I'm trying more. to be good.
1: <laughs> It'll happen, you know.
0: All right, so now... Um, we're going to talk about a few other shows that maybe didn't work quite as well as, as the public performances here. So, I think, Laura, you're going to lead off with Somnium by the Roisin Box Project.
2: I think, yeah, I think it's Rosen, um, if I mm. remember correctly from the announcements. Um, it on yeah, so, spin on it, <laughs> so um, yeah, so we're going to segue into uh, ticketed performances. And by ticketed, I mean, like, again, these were. I think everything. Noah, correct me if I'm wrong. Everything that was not free was twenty dollars per. Twenty
1: dollars exactly. Yeah. Blanket. So, and also, just to know, like we are going to talk about some stuff that worked as well. So, just like if if you're listening to the episode and you made stuff, and you're like, wait a second, our shows on this part. Don't worry. Right. You don't know what we think yet. Right. Um,
2: yeah. So we'll start with we're going to start with Somnium. I had really I was really excited for this. Um, so this was billed as. Um, it's a, an originally choreographed dance with projection mapping and music to create a fully immersive multi-sensory experience. And these are um, Rosenbox project, also local San Diego artists. Um, I, and I think this is where we start to get into, you know, not to like split hairs, but where there are some issues around the limitations of like Liberty Station. This was between buildings, and they need to partition off certain spaces. So you've got COVID. This is outdoors, probably in large part for COVID. Um, and it was at night because of the projection mapping. But then you're in order to partition off this space, there's no raked element. So the stage isn't raked, and likewise, the audience isn't in a raked formation. And um, Noah and I both caught this performance in I have some concerns around how, and we talk a lot about it, no pro, you know, trying to bring in new audiences. And and we talk a lot about the like nomenclature, the vernacular, like how do people know what they want to experience? How do they know what some of these things mean, which are some of these, the terminology is evolving. Um, And to me, um, there was, there were projections. There was not projection mapping, um, which. Yeah so the, the the difference here is that um so you have these dancers and i just want to say right off the bat i actually loved the soundtrack um for this performance and i thought the dancers i thought the choreography was stunning i thought the dancers were incredibly skilled so a lot of great things about this performance but you've got dancers on a um you know sort of a um like a padded essentially dance floor outside.
1: Yes, there's a flat pergo floor that's been like plopped down in a parking lot.
2: Right. And then there they there's a backdrop, which then it's mostly just behind them like you would see in a, a proscenium theater. They did add in another side. So you've kind of got this V shape that's off kilter. Um, this did not feel immersive. Um, again, it felt more traditional proscenium. And then the projections were... Um, sometimes kind of over the dancers, mostly behind them. But the projection mapping would be in response to their physical beings. And in this case, with the exception of, I think, one moment, like one segment, the projections were not reactive in any way to the dancers themselves. So they would have looked exactly the same had the dancers not been there.
1: Yeah, I, I, I caught this like... I think the day before Mm -hmm. you, the night before you did. And like, I went in and I sat down in the back. um, And uh, like, because it was just flat on the ground, the dance floor and the, the audience flat on the ground, which look, it's not impossible to have that set up when you're doing a a dance concert, but it is already makes things very difficult. And then depending on how the choreography is can make it impossible to tell what's going on if you're not in the front two rows. I was in like the 7th or 8th row. I do this intentionally because I want to I wanna see how things play to the back of the room. Like when I, when I go to a proscenium show, I'm that guy. I'm like, oh, okay, get to the back of the house. Let's see what you can do here. And it was illegible. I couldn't tell what the dancers were doing because all I was seeing was, you know, the top halves of their bodies and the stuff that was being projected, I couldn't tell if there was, you know, like a, a, a connect or something like that, like going on. Like I couldn't tell if things were being synced up. It looked to me like there were digitized recordings of previous versions of the performances being displayed behind them, um, creating kind of like a, a eight, four bit, eight bit monochrome visual scape. But It it was illegible from where I was sitting. So I left after 10 minutes because that was clearly not how it was intended to be presented.
2: And strangely, and so I'll say just to clarify a little bit or or to say a little bit more about the projections, there were some projections, which again, actually I thought were on their own. I thought they were really lovely and I thought that they, they were cohesive with this performance in terms of how I interpreted it. It was not projection mapping. So there were sort of these like kind of abstract outlines, um, it, very sort of Tron like. Um, and and it, it offered a lot of movement, but it was not projection mapping. So I do think that the way that we're presenting and marketing this information, that was a big reason actually why I chose this performance and, and was building, as I mentioned before, the rest of my schedule around some of these, you know, kind of anchor shows, or they were anchors for me. Mm. Um, I sat in the front and had a different experience in that. I want to say, like, I think we've done a really great job holding space for all of these creators and producers during COVID. And people have pivoted with incredible speed. and, And there has been some just phenomenal work that has come out of this time. I do think that... Overall, a lot of people have been very critical and I would argue even hypercritical around digital productions and the tech. And if, the, you know, let's say the tech doesn't fully work, something goes wrong with Zoom, et cetera. I think if we are going to hold digital productions to that standard, we need to also consider what are our expectations around in-person physical experiences? Because to me... In the, I sat in the front to the side. When the music started, I was right near a speaker. Hmm. And the, the positioning of the speaker, the height it was set at, the angle, etc. And then the volume. And this is an outdoor performance. It was deafening. Oof. And I actually had my partner and I both carry earplugs with us because of, you know, concerts. We know this. We know to be prepared. I put in my earplugs. I couldn't take it. So, I actually got up after like five minutes and I stood in the back. Oh, wow. Because it was overwhelmed. The sound was so deafening that it was uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. And and, and almost certainly one of the reasons why the sound was cranked up so much was because it's running simultaneous to Labul, um, uh, La which, which I don't think we're going to get a chance to. Touch on, but was you know really beautiful. But while it's running opposite LeBoul, there's you know maybe a fireworks show happening that was happening the night I saw it. Uh, like across the thing, there are the planes going overhead. At, you right. know, which at a certain time it's like every five minutes there's a jet. And then uh, on Saturday night there was also a wedding reception happening. Uh, like you know, fifteen yards past where LaBoule was, Boul, which was 20, 30 yards away from the backdrop of, of of Somnium, so it, it all adds up to a sonic mess and the 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 thing about this particular performance is that it, it didn't need to be outside right and indeed it probably would have been better served in one of the spaces in um in, in the facility that had the dance floor and had you know uh rake seating although then it might like sort of to toss into question, like, you know, how, how is this, you know, any different from like a standard, you know, dance concert with, you know, projections going on behind it, you know, well, and, 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 and that gets, that gets into that whole, like, is it projection mapped? Is it, is it using the technology? Is there an interplay here? Is it advancing, you know, is it, is it experimental in any way? and then you know, Right. And, just, and I,
2: I do think that that brings, but if, if, if having it outside, I think that this comes back to, and, and I, I think we'll, we'll move on after this, but I do think we talk a lot about intentionality, we talk a lot about different limitations in terms of experience design and how that can push you into really great directions or it can kind of take you down maybe a path you didn't wanna go down. And I do think that in this case, if that was uh, one of the key drivers behind it, having it outside and how did that introduce certain considerations, to me, the cons far outweighed the pros and and I think that it's um yeah, it just did not seem like the intentionality was there in terms of this as a as a fully cohesive production, especially being billed as immersive.
0: Yeah. Before we move on, was was this wedding part of the festival? Or <laughs> is this... No. Or was it in the middle of all these shows? Uh,
1: because because Stone Brewery uh, has that bocce ball court right off the lip of their thing that uh, that is, that's their territory and they rented it out that night as is their (laughs) want and right to do. (laughs) There was another, uh, wedding reception happening in another, uh, space, uh, over next, there was, there was multiple wedding receptions happening, uh, on Saturday night. Uh, and that's, has everything to do with the fact that there was, you know, an entire year where no one got married.
2: Well, but I think uh, that Kevin's identified a potential market opportunity for have your wedding embedded in some sort immersive of immersive wedding. festival. Yeah. <laughs>
1: oh, let me tell you, I want to see four weddings uh, and a funeral as an immersive show. Um, <laughs>
0: with actual live wedding With
1: actual live weddings. Yes. <laughs> maybe an actual live funeral,
0: too. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, a
1: live funeral. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I and I and I'm mostly facetious about that, but I am starting to think about like how cool it would be to just be like you know wedding crashers of the show. As, as it were. <laughs> um,
0: Speaking of of funerals and how you might commune with the dead, to Black Sands, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay you
1: do not nail a segue if you say nailed it yeah. after saying yeah, it really right. quickly it's not how that no. works kevin it is all right yes. uh i'll 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 take this i'll take this on so black seance is a uh piece uh produced this year by the blind spot collective uh who uh, are no strangers to uh without walls they produced uh, a really fantastic uh piece um but the last one that was all up at the high school and was just just absolutely fun and super dynamic. Uh, this one comes from uh, a couple of LA-based artists, so uh, they they've been they've come down to San Diego. Uh, writer-director Richard Allen, uh, and in the uh, the performer here is uh, Nathan Nonhoff. Uh, this piece uh, they have transformed one of the spaces inside Liberty Station into a uh, speakeasy-style bar. Uh, that uh, called Black Seance uh, that is filled with all these portraits of uh, figures from uh, Black American history Uh, despite the fact that this is not an actual speakeasy bar and it's still very much a um, you know a theater space I feel like they did a pretty good job of evoking the vibe of uh, a little hidden away bar Um, but you know one that was really meant as a performance space. So kind of like what I would put into the site evocative category of spaces. The structure of this piece, the, the conceit is that um, our, our, our lead character is uh, a, a young man who uh, is an adoptee uh, and he's trying to connect with uh, a sense of the past, uh, connect with his roots and, one of the mechanisms for this is that here at Black Seance, uh, he does in fact get possessed by the spirits of his forerunners. Uh, this requires uh, uh, the performer to go through uh, a series of um, characters, um, channeling, if you will, these historical personages. And the the whole piece, uh, there's there's a couple little breaks inside of it. Uh which mostly there to give the performer a break uh but they aren't full intermissions and it's it's kind of a an extended uh one act uh that goes for a little a little over an hour. There's some pretty meaty stuff in the writing uh there's there's a couple of passages in the piece that I thought were particularly potent, and you can really feel uh the 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 writer director there's a there's a lot in his mind there's a lot coming through. In fact, I think that there's too much being put into this piece. Um, there's there's a lot kind of put in there in a way that feels breathless at times. Um, one of the tricks to no tricks one of the, one of the core parts about directing in theater, as I understand it, is it's all about crafting the segues, uh, through transitions from scene to scene, but also from moment to moment. And the way this was structured, uh, and the way the the piece was directed, there were sometimes when uh, when the performer was given the chance to create a moment of transition from his base character to the to the person he was channeling, and indeed, you could you could go the wrong way with this. You could make it very corny if you overplayed it. But there were also plenty of times when it just felt like a channel switching on television. Uh who was just the characters here one second and gone the next. And there was there was no sense of a relationship between the the the, the lead character. Um and all of it structured in a way that makes it feel like it's it feels like it's supposed to be autobiographical, but it's not. These are all fictional, or at least uh the main character might be a version of a real person, but you know, it's, it's not, um, it's definitely not the performer's actual name. Um, I can't something Baker is the, is the character's name and I can't remember right now. Um, so, he, so he might be playing a version of somebody, uh, but there's a lot of fictional elements and it, it starts to kind of evoke some of the the current trend in like shows with magicians where they're being confessional. Uh, but it's here it's artifice. And despite the fact that there's, there's some moments that I think are real highs. There's just so much going on and 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 in a lot of these too much being asked. Um, it, it, it's a difficulty nine setup to have a performer go through all these characters. And, and I think there's a reason why, you know, your Anna Devere Smiths are, you know, one, maybe twice in a generation figures mm. because there's only so many performers and they usually are solo performers who can be uh, take on so many dimensions, you know, um, it, it's a real, real craft and it, and it usually does come out of a, a writer performer. And, and that's not necessarily, that's not the setup that's going on here. Um, and, and the other thing is that I think this doesn't work as an immersive staging, not because they're not using the space, but because the piece doesn't need to be staged this way, mm-hmm. and I think would actually be stronger if they had some more artifice, so that you didn't have to have the script. Characters wouldn't have to stop and identify themselves because, you know, maybe the audience couldn't pick up on the contextual clues as to who they were. Uh, although sometimes they they don't. But there's things that are being done in the script that just feel kind of clunky. That could maybe be done with supertitles, or could be done in, done with a more traditional theatrical setup. Um, as it is, it often just feels um, kind of super performative. Um, that's the other thing. This this is a performance, and performance and immersive aren't diametrically opposed, but they're always in tension. And the the weight of this really does lie in the performance and and I just don't think it works as an immersive mm-hmm. But that's me.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree um, I would agree with all of that. Um, I will say this was the particular production that I was thinking of when I said uh, as we we're talking about monuments and I was like monuments does something really, really well and it is not trying to check off every box. I do think that this is trying to do way too much. I um, the performer whose name is Nathan Nonhoff has a beautiful singing voice.
1: Really and beautiful. Yeah. There
2: are there were two moments where he uh, and and very uh, different types of music and and performance in that regard. Um. And and he, I was absolutely captivated in those moments. But I think that uh, so some of the Black icons um, that are are channeled are Frederick Douglass, Josephine Baker, James Baldwin, Eartha Kitt, Red Fox. And um, I did spend, I think, too much time, as you're talking about, like, how is this staged? How is it contextualized? What are these segues? And I spent way too much time trying to figure out who this was. Sometimes it was a little bit more obvious. Um, but I was trying, I spent too much time trying to figure out who the, the, this sort of main core character, Francis, um, who he's channeling. There's this whole magician aspect. I, yes, it, it, it does provide a through line, but it feels very weak to me and it again it added a layer that didn't deepen my relationship to the material i totally agree this did not need to be staged the way that it was staged and to me was actually um, because i was kind of up front in the middle there were times where i i i, I would have had to completely physically turn around in this awkward kind of ca- like very this couch that seemed to absorb me like yeah. so it there were i mean really i sat down and i was like oh i will never leave uh,
1: you you were i was seated in the same Crash as you initially, but mm-hmm. because of where the seats were, they like came over and, like, oh, could you make sure you tuck in like right here? And I was just like, oh, is there somewhere else I can sit? Because right. like, I'm not, I'm not gonna sit. Uh, I was practically sitting on top of someone, which also felt really strange. I'm like, you're gonna make me sit on top of someone I don't know. Like these days, that feels weird. So I abandoned that seat, and like there are plenty of empty seats in the back. So I don't know why they even had those two seats there necessarily. It was a very odd choice, and also like I felt like I never feel. What people number one thing people worry about with immersive is they're like, oh, you're not gonna they're not gonna call on me and put me on stage, are they? And I feel like this show was doing that. You know, like it, it it was participatory theater in that sense. And that is something that a lot of people have a hard nope on. And it is rare when I'm that stressed out about it, but I could feel like, oh, I'm in center stage. Everyone's gonna be seeing how right. I react. Right, right. I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of this space. Uh, And also it was just like too, too tiny. So yeah. Yeah.
2: I also think that, um, so I, I think also, and this is, I'm, I'm going to get really granular for just a second. So, and I realized that we can't just like, um, include an image in the, um, in this recorded audio segment. But the other thing that actually really threw me was again, sort of more on the marketing side. And I don't know where the responsibility really falls. If this is more on the black seance production team, if this is more on the um, La Jolla playhouse team, but the, the photograph that was used for black seance had a very, to me had a very different tone than the show did. This image is of this performer um, and he is, it's from profile, it's a black background uh, and he is not wearing a shirt. Um, he has this very, um, what I would imagine as a, uh, he has a very decorative like bib necklace on, there's kind of a headset. He's got this jewelry, this very evocative jewelry. And it it feels to me what I would imagine more as kind of a like New Orleans, um, you know very mystical very spiritual vibe and that is not the tone of the show that we saw and so yeah. I also think that whether this falls more into onto the you know creator side the production team of the festival kind of you know however much they might have input as they are lining up the programming you know looking who they want to invite or screening um uh, productions it, it to me there there was a real disconnect between what i'm going off of again the information that's being presented to me and then i showed up and it felt like this is not at all how it seemed to come across through the marketing materials. so i
1: can so i can tell you because I was, I, was, I was looking up some stuff earlier today so that central that image uh and and, and nathan that is nathan in profile but he's been like photoshop painted Mm -hmm. that is if i if i read my facebook's right that is an image that was created by or or with the the writer director had a direct hand in, in that particular image and i've seen another version of that image where you see nathan uh in 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 head on and half of him is that way and half of him is how he appears uh not in the show but just like like you, twenty first century, you Nathan, and so it's it's a different take on the idea of you know this is someone's you know like the 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 self, you know, as he would be in like a or the selves that exist within him, right? Like there's there is there is a, a thematic consistency to to what's being done there, but yes, tonally. Like, I mean, the show opens with a bunch of dad jokes and some magic tricks that I don't think were actually pulled off, but everyone clapped for, like, there was a thing he was doing. I was like, oh, but he didn't, I don't think he did it. And people were clapping and it was very weird. I was like, are we just not going to, he didn't actually tie the things. Are we going to just act like he did? Like, what's going on everybody? Um, and, and. They were dad jokes. I was, it was, you know, I think they were trying to like break the ice and like set everybody at ease. But instead, it actually put me on edge because I was like, oh, you're, it, it felt very, it just didn't feel.
2: No, it felt like a cabaret and it didn't feel yeah. at all to me like a seance. And there's not anything wrong with it being a cabaret, but like, or again, kind of a cabaret vibe for the what you're describing like a kind of solo. It's, it's, just, about, it's a about
1: a, just kind of like what your expectations are, you know, like, right. well, and and it
0: yeah. this, like both the, both the shows you've kind of brought up as, as ones that didn't work as well did tie back into the, the way they set the expectations for you too. It seems like that's been a major absolutely. point of, of kind of why they, they may not have worked because Laura, I'm again. I'm someone really looking at the website and trying to understand these shows. (laughs) It the the Black Sands certainly seems like it would present in a different way than than how it's been described. Yes, and the
1: physical and the physical space. I gotta say, the physical space when you walk in, like I think, did present that way, right? Like visually, what we were being told, and it not necessarily like ooh, mystical, and like you're going to like like there's there's a really bad way that could go, right? But it. Again, like it didn't feel like we were, we were being taken on a journey, you know, Um, and it, it felt a lot more like something you might see, you know, like at a magic show, you know, like something you may see at the magic castle or black rabbit rose. And that's fine. Um, And I think, but I think they could have actually leaned into their framing more that way. So, yeah, I mean, ironically enough the show has a bit of an identity crisis you know uh, <laughs> so like meta, meta textually you know okay but I, I I do think that that undercuts some of the stuff that some of the real strengths of the writing the real strengths of the questions being asked and the strengths of the performer um, you know the the, the things aren't and, and that's a function of there being so much being put into this one
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, totally agree. All
0: right, so now we're going to head on to um, a show that Laura saw. And this is actually the third part of a series that she has seen and talked about the first two parts of us. That's A Thousand Ways, Part Three, and Assembly. I'm just going to kick it to you, Laura, to talk all about this this series and the show.
2: Yeah, and I'll I'll, um, make this one uh, a bit more concentrated. So um, A Thousand Ways is a triptych, and this is by um, an experimental theater duo uh, called 600 Highwaymen. The first one was A Thousand Ways, part one, a phone call. And this was exactly what it sounds like. Um, this was audio only over the phone. Um, part two was called an encounter. And that was a two-person um, physical, you know, in-person experience. And then this was uh, A Thousand Ways, part three, an assembly. And it was, just like it sounds, a group experience, um, also in person. So you have these three different levels in terms of how you're experiencing them, who you're experiencing them with. The through line for all three uh, thematically is uh, around connection, especially during this incredibly difficult time. And the sort of mechanical through line is that this is participant driven, but 600 highwaymen have created really incredible infrastructure. And so over the phone for part one, it was this kind of AI, I believe, um, pre-recorded voice. There's some debate um, still. I don't know that 600 highwaymen have actually said, or at least with people I've chatted with, there still is a little bit of debate. Um, But anyway, there was a guide. There was this audio guide, whether that was pre-recorded or um, uh, an actual performer. And then with part two and part three, you're going off of cards. So it's these note cards with instructions. And what's really interesting about uh, the way these are presented, um, and I'll actually read the, the the sort of blurb for this. So an assembly brings together an audience of 12 strangers to construct a unique and intimate theatrical event using a shared script an evocative story of perseverance comes into focus, tracing how we consider one another individually and collectively after so much time apart. So you do not have to have done all three of these experiences, um, either just A, um, or you don't have to have done them all in the same order. I mean, there's a lot of fluidity here. And I do think that It's one of the testaments to 600 Highwaymen and and their brilliant design. That said, this was my least favorite of the three experiences. Um, And I think that that is, in a weird way, a, a kind of compliment because Part one and part two, I thought were so brilliant and so transformative. I I think that my expectations might've just also been kind of unreasonable for part three. Mm. Um, So I think there's, you know, (laughs) there's a little bit of of an issue there that they're so good at what they do that then I was, my expectations were uh, magnificently high. Here's where I think we've got a kind of, again, a festival issue um, and then I'll speak briefly about like the design itself. One thing that I think that was problematic about, and it's an, I don't think it's just Liberty Station. No, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. The wayfinding and the signage, in my opinion, was very, very lacking. And I felt this way before. Um, A Thousand Ways Part Three was actually my very, very last experience of the weekend, and I did have some trouble locating some of the other. Uh, performance spaces. There were some like 40 Watts from Nowhere and Black Seance where they had signage taped up on windows. They had different booths directing you to the, the check-in booth. They did a fantastic job kind of covering all bases. They also had, um, a color-coded map, a digital map, but it lacked the actual, um, street addresses and they had color-coded, um, umbrellas outside uh, the different on the lawns and whatnot uh, oh that's
1: what those umbrellas were for I didn't pick up on that
2: well but so what's interesting is that again when you're really and and I am being granular I am being very uh, specific but a if you've just got color coding you're potentially creating an issue for people who are colorblind Um, I really needed some of the physical addresses in a more immediate way. And then there needed to be more signage. And this leads me to, there were two, there was an elderly couple, really lovely people. They were in our Thousand Ways performance and had not registered for it. They were very confused. um, It seemed and, and grew increasingly confused over the course of the experience and It actually did impact the end of the experience as well. How did they wind
1: up in it if they weren't supposed to be part of it?
2: Right. So this had no signage outside the building. Um, It did have the umbrellas. It had no signage on the ground floor. Um, And again, my partner and I kind of wandered around. We asked somebody who didn't know. um, And then we saw someone with a WOW t-shirt. And they sent us in the correct direction, which was on the second floor. And there was a, a booth. Um, or a table. And we checked in and, and um, they you know, have their highlighter and the list and they crossed off our names. Fantastic. I don't know how this couple wound up in the room. Um, I, I wasn't there during that part. So I don't know exactly what transpired there. But I do think that um, there just were many opportunities in terms of wayfinding and signage and other festivals that I've either participated in or I've been to, and um, I actually read something online that said for this year they thought the wayfinding and signage uh, a critic thought it had really improved, and I found that really surprising. Um, so there's always going to be things that you cannot plan for in terms of um, you know immersive theater, especially or just any production specifically immersive theater and specifically immersive theater like this, where it is um, really driven by the participants. That being said, it, it did. It actually had a huge impact on the ending and it really deflated the experience for me. And, and I don't mean that as an unfair criticism of this couple, but they were frustrated and it wound up permeating into.
1: Why, why did they stick with it? Do you know? Well, yeah,
0: and one more question. And are we sure it, it wasn't
1: a bit? Well. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, looking at it says it's only for twelve people, and it looks like there's only twelve seats. Did that throw it off
2: as well? So, um, actually, there—that's uh, a really good question, and um, and and I think you've actually nailed it. We had there were four rows of four chairs, so it wasn't just twelve people. It was sixteen in our case. And, and it did fill up. And so I, again, I don't know exactly what happened with, you know, if they had a wait list or because I know there were other people that were trying to get into the a thousand ways performances and couldn't because it was sold out. The, 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 the volume changed, the capacity changed for the show. And I wonder, yes, Kevin, if, if that maybe contributed to this, like (laughs) this, this hiccup, um, it was not a bit. Um, they genuinely were uh, wound up pulling out some papers at the end and they were asking my partner and I questions about where they should go. And they, they were trying to find this other show that they were supposed to be in. Oh and so God. it really wasn't a bit. And, and they were um, because at the end of the performance, you are taken outside this was an elderly couple. They needed to use the elevator. They were not stable on their feet. Um, they needed extra time, <clears throat> and so again, you you want always to have inclusive options. And and this particular group of people really made an effort
1: yeah. to include
2: them. And and we did. But I think I mean, that it's, it, I mean, it,
1: it sounds it sounds like you know that they weren't supposed to be there, and that somebody pulled an audible at the check-in desk uh and like just, I mean, and, and truth be told, like, look, that's often being run by volunteers. So that could have just been a volunteer fail. Sure. Um I totally. mean, things, things, things definitely happen. Right. You know, I mean, like, like with Laboul, like the night before there wasn't a red- wedding reception, the, the audio was fine. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is one of the issues with being in these, in these spaces, like things, there's always going to be something that happens. But it does sound, like, I am kind of surprised that people, someone said, like, oh, the, the wayfinding is a lot better. Like, the map was worked well, but, like, there definitely weren't, there weren't really big, bold signs no, in places there weren't. to, like, you know, the, you know, the, they just weren't. So I don't know what that person was talking about, you know? Like, I was, I, I, I spent a lot of time when I first got there just kind of, like, going about and figuring out where everything was. And, like, by the second day, I was confident in terms of in terms of my wayfinding. But this sounds like this was, like, totally hidden.
2: And I think Um, that the larger point here, because I don't want to drill down on something that's just, you know, again, it's a total accident. It's, you know, hopefully an anomaly, but I think what's interesting here from, from a production standpoint on the festival's behalf, because 600 highwaymen can't be anticipating every possible space that this would be produced in. But if you are going to have as part of the design, that then this group leaves the space together and goes to a different space, In this case, it was outside, like on the lawn of this building. Um, And you are continuing the experience there. Um, That needs to be taken into consideration by the festival's production team. And again, perhaps there just wasn't a large enough space on the ground floor but there are issues where I'm just kind of wondering how some of these decisions were made, because even let's say this couple, they absolutely were supposed to be there. Let's just say that the then the, the um, you know, people with mobility aids like you have to consider how does that impact then the experience if we're going to require that people start this on the second floor and then get down to the first floor and get down outside on a lawn. So I do think that there's, there are worthwhile elements to consider for um, producers of a festival like this. And when you're going to include a production like this and consider what do we really need for the space in order for this to work? Um, and in this case, I really don't think that that was taken into consideration, or at least not enough.
0: And that's that's one of those things that comes up in immersive a lot in terms of like some like something like delusion or where transversal is really important to how you're moving through a show, and you wouldn't think about it with one like this. And maybe that's just what kind of what happened is didn't think about oh we are moving participants, and that needs to be factored into to the actual show.
2: Yes. And I will say that the other thing about the design itself, so again, there was this hiccup, which I do think was very informative for me. It it did not feel great in terms of how it impacted the experience in the moment. Those are always informative moments that I think um, there are larger takeaways and those can be very helpful to consider. Um, In terms of the design, I, I think that what the thing that you run up against in a in a production like this is the is one that we've talked about in all sorts of other contexts. You cannot control what ha, how the participants will react, and I think that there were there were people who, um, in a way, I think what this production did so brilliantly was that there were people that stepped in or kind of took over or projected other things into the space or onto the other participants in a way that it didn't go against the design. They were following the card's instructions, but it, it, um, it resulted in a much more, in, in my opinion, kind of awkward flow and awkward exchange. Whereas part one and part two, because you're dealing with just two people together, you can really get into a kind of sync. And I talked about this with part one. It seemed like my fellow participant, he didn't really want to be there. And I wasn't even really sure what to do in the moment. I thought, oh gosh, you know, this guy, like this is frustrating. Like I wish he were enthusiastic and wanted to be here. And and yet we wound up getting there together. And that process was really amazing. And that was something that I took away that was profoundly fulfilling but when you have an entire group, it can become very difficult to get in sync. And yet, I think because 600 Highwaymen really knows what they're doing, that then embodied ultimately the sort of um, lessons and, and really like heart of the piece. It wasn't as fulfilling to me as the two other productions, but I do think it it achieved from what I understand, the intention to be, or what I am, I am interpreting the underlying intention to be.
0: Okay, hey, great. It's a it's a good update. I think it's a good discussion on on how shows can change in, in sizing up too, and like changing the the format. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to jump onto the last show, and this is actually the one I'm most excited to, to hear about. <laughs> From Mister and Mischief, um, they were the ones that put on Escape from Godot, which is run in a few places. Um, I love that show, so I was I was a little sad that Forty Watts from Nowhere was not based in L.A you two got to experience. I want to well, hear all about it.
1: Well, from a certain point of view, it is based in LA. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a piece of docu theater about Sue Carpenter, uh, who created KBLT, a pirate radio station in Silver Lake back in the nineties. It is based on her book. Uh, and, uh this is just this is freaking brilliant uh and i made sure we saved this one for last because i want to go out on a high note because i knew we had some stuff to like kind of you know tackle um so this is the treat at the end of you know kind of a rough one um this uh here's how it works it requires five people uh and you uh, meet a woman who introduces herself as your best friend and you, you are now Sue Carpenter. uh, And she takes you into uh, the building. Uh, She gives you, uh, everybody gets a pair of headphones because uh, what DJ doesn't have a good pair of headphones. Uh, And all of them are uh, tuned to a a local feed. Um, You are then told to like, Go on in, and you find a room that is set up to look like your apartment, Sue, and one of the doors in your apartment leads to a closet, and that closet is KBLT. It is the broadcast center, the DJ booth, and the beautiful, beautiful record collection uh, on both CD and vinyl of KBLT, and the piece progresses through a series of audio cues, some of which you set up by playing the proper CD uh, others of which unfold because what you, what you quickly find out is that, and this is a little bit spoilery, I'm sorry, but there's no way to talk about the whole thing without this little bit that the narrator you're hearing in your headphones is in fact live and is uh, guiding you through the story and telling you the story while you were in the space. There are certain things um, Laura, I'm going to see if I can code here so you, you know what I'm talking about without explaining it spoiling for Kevin. But there's certain little details about what the narrator's saying when you, when you do certain actions um, that I don't want to reveal for folks. But just know that uh, everything you are encountering uh, is, is live and on the air with you at that moment and yeah there's like there's there's the turntable and there's the cd player and like you're tasked with like keeping the 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 station on air like they're told don't don't let there be any dead air this triggered all of my old radio station instincts and so i became very obsessed with us never hitting dead air and making sure things were going uh and there's, there's, you can dig through the CD collection and find the next thing to play and the vinyl, and you got to kind of go back and forth between the two if you actually want to keep the dead air from happening. So you got to like cue up, you got to queue up the vinyl and like, there was no monitor headphones and that was hard, but so I did it anyway. And, and I, I sort of like jumped in f- full force into th- that part, but I also made sure that like everyone, like I was telling people like, bring me your thing and like get on the microphone and you announce it. And I was just, I was touching the controls because... My jam, and then the story is is great. You get this whole story narrated, and you're kind of you're kind of going through the motions of Sue's life. You're you're all you know taking a page out of Sue's life and living part of it for a moment. Um, just just a, an amazing piece that uses the language of escape games and themed entertainment to do something entirely novel. Um, and there's there's only one quibble I have with it, and I'll, I'll but I'll toss it to Laura to kind of let her play with it for a moment.
2: This was hands down my favorite piece out of the whole weekend, and just on its own, I thought it was really incredible. And and Kevin, I. thought... I think it may. I think there may be um, some movement at some point for it to be staged here in LA. So hopefully they're going to we'll-
1: do what they can, Kevin. You're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
2: gonna have, so I hope as as, like, I and soon I'm like kind that. of yeah. I'm kind of saying it out loud, like hoping that like yes, this this is this is going to happen, and people in LA will get to experience this. It was uh, truly immersive it was, the design was impeccable. It raises so many elements around uh, things that we, we discuss. The liveness, as Noah's saying, that added such an important element to it. There are moments where you're, you can do your own thing. You can explore the record collection. It can feel very nostalgic. Um, you do work together at times. You're all Sue Carpenter, but you also have moments where you may have your own kind of specific role. Um, there are other live moments that happen, not just through the narration. So it it is, and and um, I spoke with Jeff Crocker, who, uh, you know, is half of the, the Mr. And Mischief duo um, briefly afterwards. And I thought he raised a really wonderful point that in immersive theater, there is a lot that tends to lean on the fantasy end of the spectrum. Um, you know, we've got um, Alice in Wonderland, you know, utilizing kind of source material from Alice in Wonderland or from Shakespeare and these really kind of fantastical worlds and not as much on the documentary side. And so, um, and I don't know if we already mentioned this, but this is based on Sue Carpenter's book 40 watts yeah. from nowhere. I think it's a journey into pirate radio. And it's a it's a fantastic story that now when we talk about extending experiences now I'm planning to read that and I would love to potentially do this experience again with different people. And so I think that there are layers to the design that work incredibly well um, on their own as a contained experience. And and then also by extension, you get to dive into the story, real history and, and learn more. And I think that we do, I think Jeff is absolutely right. I mean, I think the opportunity to have more, historical based experiences um, on that kind of dock side is a huge opportunity. And I hope that yeah. we see more of that in the future.
1: And, it, and it's definitely something that, you know, can be you know, delicate, right? You know, there's, there's been, I think, some attempts made in the past that have been ham-fisted uh, or maybe even, you know, well-intentioned, but mm, doesn't quite go the way you think. Uh, this one, you know, they had the, I mean, an important part, you know, they, they had the cooperation of Sue Carpenter. And in fact, uh, Sue came to the, to one of the shows. And that was not the one that's I was great. in, so uh, cool. apparently, apparently brought her college aged kid. Uh, and so their kid got to live in, in their mom's shoes for a minute, which is kind of a rad idea. And, um, uh, and yeah, like, I, I think that's, that's, that's a, that's a big note right there, right? If you're going to do something where you're, you're sort of doing docu theater, like, make sure that the stakeholders are directly involved, you know, uh, if you're going to be putting people in someone else's shoes. Um, I, I think the one thing I don't want to, I don't want to leave, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like we're we're treating Mr. Mischief with, with kid gloves here. There, there was one sequence uh, in the middle that I felt kind of just went, it, it went on a little long. And, and I honestly don't know if that's because we were waiting on one of the other Sue's to like accomplish something that they weren't accomplishing mm. or, or what. And, and Laura, we can maybe trade notes afterwards about that, um, and getting the nitty gritty details, but, uh, it, it just, it felt like it, it was just kind of going on forever. And at, at the beginning of it, it was this kind of like great explosion of energy and it was just like really different and, and it, and it, uh felt like it captured a cinematic montage in an interesting way, but it also felt like it was like a minute, minute and a half, maybe even two minutes too long. Uh, because at a certain point, everyone was like, oh, it got to a point where I was like, did we do something wrong?
2: Oh, <laughs> are we
1: supposed good. to be, are we supposed is there something, did we miss something? Uh, and, and given how well the show moves and how much the show gives you emotional agency, but not really narrative agency. Like you're not, doing escape room stuff you're doing but you're moving through the space like you might through an escape room um i think that's where it could it could tighten up a little bit um just just keeping people moving through what a what a what a great piece
0: i had i had one question because i've seen them um on instagram kind of posting like the the songs played at each Session, which seems like it's different, yes. And if it's not too spoiler, can you kind of get into like a little bit about how, how that works? Just I'm curious. Oh, I mean,
1: it's really simple. You're, I mean, okay. I said, at the beginning You're in a radio station booth. There's a bunch of vinyl. There's a bunch of CDs. You're DJing, man. No, oh. you're Sue Carpenter. You're yeah. DJ. You're <laughs> DJing. You got to announce the songs. You got, you got, you got work to do. You got to keep that station going. Okay. So that's why the songs are all different. It's because you're picking the songs. Um
0: what uh what songs did you guys pick
1: <laughs> oh um uh, well some someone got picked by you know I, I tried to make sure everyone got a turns but like you know i got i got some Bowie in there got the clash in there uh God, what are some other stuff other people chose uh oh lord i can't i i can see like the albums oh got some Prince in there um
2: you know, i was i was good. completely fixated on uh getting the pixies in there, my all-time favorite band. And so I had I had a singular mission in terms of my the choice I made. So
1: there were and there was a lot of great um track like albums like in that thing. And there was some weird stuff. There was like there was Leonard, some really Leonard, weird Leonard, stuff. Yeah. There was Leonard Nimoy's like vinyl of like like Leonard Nimoy sings Nimoy sings all these like standards and stuff. Like we, we almost played one of that.
0: Yeah, it you looked know. like it had a, an Ultraman vinyl in there. Yeah, there was an Ultraman vinyl
1: in there. I was very curious about but I wasn't going to blow one of my song slots on <laughs> what is this thing, you know? Uh, not on my shift, mister.
2: There were some chipmunks <laughs> that actually worked their way into our group.
1: Ah. I would have put that on if I could have turned <laughs> the speed of the turntable down. Because if you turn chipmunks tracks from, like, 70, like, You down below right like if you can find some chipmunk 78s and put them on 33 and a third you (laughs) you, like there's there's they're amazing they are amazing
2: okay we definitely didn't get that sophisticated
1: well the the the, that the 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 turntables and audio technica it is completely great there's nothing wrong with it it just it doesn't have like the option to like set things below 33 and a third so
2: i do want to also just shout out that the um the performers were absolutely wonderful. So again, there's the, the liveness um, that worked beautifully that was just implemented so wonderfully. Um, And so there has to be some flexibility, you know, and, and there's some improvising that happens and Mm -hmm. um, our performers did not miss a beat. They were wonderful. Absolutely. Wonderful.
1: It's scary. It's it's almost scary. I don't, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> I don't want to say more than that. I don't want to say more than that because it starts getting spoilery. Because it's all about the experience. Like that's the thing. This thing is an experience. Like you get the story. You you understand Sue. You 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 understand what that moment was like because you lived it for a second. And and there's everything they do is in service of that. And that's amazing.
2: Yeah,
0: agreed. And I mean, I think it's, it seems very much in line with what they did with Escape from Godot too, where it, like it's so focused and like
1: this is even more focused cool Oh, like like this is even more focused and it's it's more focused it's more controlled it's it's more like a dark ride than it is like an escape room if you will sorry jeff and andy i did to go there but it's it is definitely more that than the other uh and uh and it's it's lovely all
0: right well maybe maybe it makes the way back to la we can we can talk even more about it um because it it sounds like a really cool show. Yes. So hopefully, hopefully I can uh, I can see it at some point. And uh, um, we're gonna wrap up for today. It's a it's a long one. We covered a, a lot of stuff, a whole whole festival worth and uh, more. So, um, thanks Noah, thanks Laura. As always, No Person Name is a labor of love. Everyone on staff who we hear on podcasts like this and read right on the site are volunteers. You can support this work by donating to the No Percent Name Patreon. Even two or five dollars a month helps. If you're enjoying Review Crew or the main numbers in podcast, you can also support us by leaving a five-star review on our podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and have a good one.